and welcome to More Games Than Time. I'm Lee. I'm Roger. And this is More Games Than Time. Roger, did you know we've got news? We've got podcast news. We have? We have. We've got merchandise. Ooh, shiny. Yeah, I'm sure you'll put the link in the, the notes. Um, but you can find the the More Games Than Time merchandise at tinyurl.com slash mgtt. Um, we're making that available just as a way to help support the podcast, really. Any proceeds from sales will go towards helping ship games to each other. <laughs> That's what it comes down to as our main cost. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's a selection of t-shirts and, I don't know, mouse pads, mugs, all the various usual things in there that people can come and have a look at if they're interested. Yeah, and that goes through Redbubble, so local printing and uh, delivery. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to move on to the main show now. We're talking about the games we've been playing and also have a, a chat at the end with um, two guests about how COVID has affected board game clubs. I've been playing Savannah Park, which was uh, a new game that came out in December, I think, from the famous Messrs. Kramer and Keesling. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, is, is it one you've heard of or not? Uh, no, I, I think no, I've heard the name, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a generic sort of name, so... Yeah, and it, I mean, it was a, a low-key release, I think. Um, there wasn't a lot of hype around it. But I, I've... I've always been a fan of Kramer and Keyson games I've played in the past. That mm-hmm. my experience suggests that they have a fairly light rules overhead, but a bit of depth to them. Um, so Savannah Park is themed around the Savannah, as you might have guessed. Um, and it was billed, I think, as a, a tile layer, at least on Board Game Geek. I would take issue with calling it a tile layer. <laughs> um, so, in essence, this is an abstract game. Um, so, we're going to stop using the word theme. It's set around the savannah. <laughs> it has pictures of animals um, on the components. It has pictures of animals on it. And really, it's akin to something like Connect 4. Mm-hmm. What you're trying to do is build up groups of animals. Okay. Um, so at the start of the game, you are going to draw tiles randomly from your own personal stack. Each player has their own um, their own selection of tiles that that are the same. Each player has the same selection of tiles. Um, um, look, looking at some photos, it looks as if there's more than one. An- most tiles seem to have more than one animal on them. They do, yeah. So the way this works, um, it's once you say you draw, draw your own stacks, you place them randomly onto the board in front of you, um, mm-hmm. whilst not covering up the some. The board in front of you has lots of open hexes, and some with grass on, some with trees on, some with rocks on, and some with fire on. Mm-hmm. When you place out the the tiles onto the board, um, you place them into the blank spaces until you've got two left, and then you place them covering up either the grass or the trees. What you do on your turn then is to select one tile, which you have to move. And when you move it, you flip it over and then it shows your player colour. 
If you're playing multiplayer, I've only played it solo, but if you're playing multiplayer, every other player has to then identify that same tile and move the same tile. Okay. Which I think could be very tedious in the early game when there's a lot of tiles and you're trying to find the right unique tile out of, I don't know, around 40 tiles. Usually when I've seen that sort of mechanic, it's been in a real-time game and, you know, the last person to find the tile loses a point or whatever. Yeah, there's there's nothing like that here. And, I mean, I'm... um, you know, I'd compare it with something like Limes or Cities, where again, you know, one player chooses a tile at random in those cases, and the other players find the same one. But those are from a selection of 16 as opposed to, say, 40 odd. Mm-hmm. So that problem's going to get less of a problem as the game goes on. But in the early game, I imagine in the multiplayer experience, you'd spend a lot of time looking for a particular tile. Right. What you're trying to do when you move them round, as I say, is to make groups of animals. Um, because at the end of the game, you're going to score for the largest group of each animal type. So if you've got four elephants in one space, three somewhere else on the board, two somewhere else, one somewhere else, you're only going to score for your group of four. Mm-hmm. And the way that scoring works is that you multiply the number of that type of animal by the number of ponds that are in that group. Okay. Okay, so if you're going back to your four elephants there, if you've got two ponds there, that would score you eight points. Mm-hmm. If you've got no ponds in it, it's going to score you nothing. Right. Okay. Even if your second largest group has a bunch of ponds, too bad. I've yeah, I'm not sure. I've, possibly that that would be the way it works. It'd be your highest scoring group rather than the largest group. Okay. I'd have to check the rules from memory. Um, the other wrinkle to it is that there's three spaces on the board and three hexes which have fire on them. Um, much like the rock in the middle, you can't cover those spaces up. Mm-hmm. Those three spaces, one of them has one fire on it, one of them has two fire on it, and one of them has three fire on it. At the end of the game, before scoring, the first thing you do is remove from the surrounding hexes, the hexes surrounding those fires, any tiles which have the same number of animals as there are fire on the tile, on the space that's neighbouring it. Oh, okay. So if you've got, uh, you know, uh, if you've placed a hex with three animals, it doesn't matter if it's three elephants or an elephant, a uh, giraffe and a zebra, as long as it's three animals and uh, it's next to the space with three fire then you remove that tile before scoring mm. it, and that could potentially break up a group. Sure. If you haven't placed it well enough. Um, any more than three, you can leave it there. Any le- any fewer than three, you can leave it there. But it would have to be exactly three. Sure. Okay. And that basically is the game in a nutshell. It's so it, it conforms with my expectations of Kramer and Kiesling that it's a fairly light rules overhead game. It's recommended ages 8+. I haven't yet found the depth in it that I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a shame. And it also comes in a much bigger box than I was expecting. <laughs> this is a relatively inexpensive game. I think it was less than £30. And it's mm. in a sort of ticket to ride size box. Um, which, as um, 
I'm not sure whether, what order we're going to put this out in. As, as you might find us alluding to in a moment when we talk about games that we've exchanged, <laughs> shelf space is a big factor right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm not sure it's one that's going to hang around in my collection long enough for me to, to find that depth if it is there. Mm. Looking at it and hearing you describing the rules, it sounds as if it has a lot superficially in common with Cascadia in that you're trying to make patterns of animals and so on, but this doesn't obviously have the special scoring shapes that Cascadia does. No, it doesn't have that um, that, that you know, variability to it. Um, there is there is um, a, an alternative, um, what they call variable expansion in it, which I haven't tried. Um, mm. But the, the way that works, you've got the... On the standard board, you've got the three trees and you've got six grass spaces. The alternative version is that you have tiles with those trees and grass spaces on, so it's just a different map setup in terms mm. of its shape. Yeah. Um, that that's that's it. Um, I mean, as well as I mean, you mentioned Cascadia. The one I mean, I mentioned Connect Four earlier. But the one that comes to my mind is um, what was the. The Vina Knizia abstract tile layer. Axia. Axia. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, you know, that, that's a, it is a tile layer, um, and it is a pure abstract. It doesn't have any setting at all. Um, but again, you're max, you're, um, creating groups of, uh, shapes and colors, and you only score for the, the biggest groups. So there's, there's that similarity there. And as I say, you know, the, the, the setting is lovely. Um, I've, I've got a, a strong family connection with different parts of Africa. Mm-hmm. And, and that, as well as Kramer and Kiesling, yeah, that drew me to the game. But it, but it isn't a nothing in and of itself. It is just a, an abstract game with some, some art. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have been playing, have, having had uh, a chance to get people together in person at my place, Among Thieves, which... Mm-hmm. Is basically iterated prisoner's dilemma the card game. Right, okay. Um, it, this is using, the, this is one of those indie boards and cards productions that, that reuses, it, it basically has a graphic designer, but not much in the way of the original art, because they have an art library that they, that they use for their futuristic right, yeah. games, and, and they have tweaked that about a bit to use in this particular one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, designed by Floyd Pretz, this came out in 2019, and this is one of those ones that I picked up because I was demoing for them, uh, right. and therefore got games as part of my demo pay. But I, I, yeah. it turned out I really rather enjoy it. Um, basically, you have a series of, in game terms, heists. Um, each one has about half the players in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, each player then chooses to be honourable or not, and you reveal simultaneously. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah honourable thieves. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, if if you are if everybody is honourable, then you get loot. If some yeah. of you are dishonourable, then those people get loot but lose honour points. Mm-hmm. And if everybody is dishonourable, then nobody gets any loot at all. Right. Okay. Uh, and and what was what's the aim of the game? I assume just loot, or do you get something for honour as well? Well, that that's the thing that ha- has become a key part of the way I teach it because there are different end game conditions. Um, mm-hmm. there, there are three decks of cards that uh, the, the the person deciding who goes on which job uh, rotates each round, 
they get right. they get to choose which job to take, uh, and and mm-hmm. the untaken cards ac- accumulate money to encourage people to take those. Uh, but okay. depending on which stack runs out first, you might uh, eliminate all the players with the highest and lowest honor, and then the one with the most money wins, or you might have the most honor wins. I mean, usually most money wins is the way to bet, but mm-hmm. it's not the only condition. And I think it's very important, especially for a new player, to stay aware of how how each stack is going down and how, how that might suddenly bring on an endgame yeah. that you're not ready for. Uh, I mean, yeah. mechanically, it shares some underpinnings, the way you're describing it, as a, with the, the Grizzled, which is a cooperative game. Um, um but, but that's the same thing where it, you take turns around the table to decide what the mission's going to be in that particular um, round. Mm. Um, and, and, yeah, drawing up obstacles then to, to see whether you're a success or not. So, yeah, sound, sounding a little bit like a, you know, some overlap there. Yeah, I think the main obstacles in this are your fellow players. Uh, mm-hmm. but as, as is the way with competitive games, yeah. The, the, the thing that is a, a bit odd is, um, you, if you are honourable, then you, then you get a card which is worth something for loot. But you, that can also bring out random events. And mm-hmm. the the times I've played it, I think there's been a general feeling that those events are awfully random and can scramble things up more than you would really ideally like. So no. I may I may tone that down a bit next time I play it. <laughs> but yeah, th- this is another one we could put in Forgotten Games. It, it's not um, changing the world. Um, yeah, but. It's it's a nice one to have in the library and bring out, particularly with with mm. people who already know Prisoner's Dilemma from other places. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's a game I, I think I've heard of, but I knew nothing about at all. I think you know, I've heard of the title. Okay, there was another game of the same title in 2017 that I know nothing <laughs> about. <laughs> right, okay. So who knows which one I've heard of? Uh, the, the, this one's designed by Floyd Pretz, uh, published by Andy mm. Boards and Cards. I've been playing at the gates of Loyang, Roger. Which I'm sure you've heard of. Uh, yeah, I don't read the one-player guild as much as I used to because there's just so much of it. But it was it was always a very popular one. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah it's, it's one of my one of my top twenty games. I think mm-hmm. um, certainly one of my top twenty solo games. Pro- probably one of my top twenty games. Um, so, as with many Rosenberg games, this is a farming game. Um, Unlike many of the many of his other farming games, this isn't a subsistence game. This is a market economy game. Mm-hmm. Um, set at uh, around the, ha- the Han, <laughs> set around the Han Dynasty in China. Cities were a big thing. You're trying to sell your goods to the occupants of the city and um, operate a market economy. Mm-hmm. Um, you correctly assumed, I think, that I mainly play it solo. In fact, I've only ever played it solo. Um, the multiplayer game, I believe, has a drafting element to it, um, which was replaced in the solo game by a tableau of cards, um, which I think is still fairly unique. I don't think I've seen it used in any other game quite the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like a, a deck-building tableau. Um, there's an offer that's out at the start of the game with 12 cards in it, um, a grid of 3 by 4 Okay. The three cards at the top are free for you to take. The three below that cost you two coins, and the other six are two. Co- oh, sorry, the three below that are one coin. The six below that are two coins. Mm-hmm. Um, the start of the game, you have a field which you sow 
a crop into, you you have to pay for that crop um, from your starting coins. Right. That field has nine um, sowing points in it. At the end, at the beginning of uh, every round, you're going to take one of those vegetables that's growing <laughs> into your supply. Yeah. And when it runs out, that's the end of the game. So it's going to last nine rounds. Okay. Okay. Um, through the, the bulk of the round, you've got several things that you can do as many times as you want. Um, with the exception of playing cards, which you can only do twice. So in the, the multiplayer game, as I say, I think it's a drafting game. Um, in the solo game, you're taking cards from that tableau and playing them straight into your area. Okay. Okay. Um, those types of cards are regular customers, which are what you really want. <laughs> um, to satisfy a regular customer, you're going to need two vegetables, which might be the same type of vegetable, they might be two different type of vegetable. You're going to have to supply them four rounds. Each round, they'll give you increasing amounts of money. Um, you can skip supplying them for one round. You can't skip supplying them for another. Hmm. Um, there are also special customers, one-off customers who will pay you more money and even more money if you have more regular customers than special customers. Hmm. Um, there are markets where you can exchange one type of vegetable for another. There are helpers who will let you do special things interacting with either your own tableau that you're building up or in the multiplayer game with um, other people's tableaus. In the solo game, there are, you draw some cards at the beginning to simulate another opponent, so you can still do that level of interaction. Okay. Um, and the other card that can come out in the tableau, although there's fewer of them, are uh, more field plots for you to sow crops into. The other way to get... Um, field plots is that at the start of every round as well as uh, as well as harvesting um, crops you will turn over a new a new field from your own little stack and again there's nine of them so you'll draw the last one on the final round right okay so basically what you're doing as I say you're, you're growing vegetables you're selling vegetables you're trying to get money it sounds as if there are lots of moving parts and a lot of your decisions are how to plug them together Exactly so, exactly so. Um, and although what you're trying to do is get money, the way you score points is um, not necessarily obvious when you first play the game. <laughs> so there is a path called the Path of Prosperity with 20 spots on it, 20 places. Mm-hmm. You start the game on place one on that. So there's 19 spaces you can potentially climb to get up to the 20th spot on the, the path of prosperity. At the end of every round, you will automatically advance one space. So you're going to get at least nine points. Yeah. You can also, at the end of your round, spend money to advance a space, and the amount that you spend is equal to the next spot on that space. So if you're in space five, you can spend six to advance to space six. And it sounds as if you want to do that relatively early in your progress, therefore. Well, it's going to get more expensive as the game goes on. Conversely, your engine's working better at the end of the game, and you're getting more income. Yeah. So there is this sort of give and take of when's a good time to to push and get those extra spaces. And I've I've seen some people that um, 
will take a loan. You can take a loan at any point in the game to get five coins immediately. So I have seen some people take a loan of five to advance immediately. Mm-hmm. But then the loans can be quite <laughs> quite harsh for paying them off. So that there, as you say, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of moving parts, um, and if you've come across it on the uh, on the one player guild, you might see some people say that they scored sixteen point seven. <laughs> there is no point seven. That point seven is that they've got seven coins left over. They weren't able to spend it to move up to the seventeenth sure. spot on the bar. But if you're comparing your own previous performance, then it, it's a basis. Exactly. So yeah. A, yeah, exactly. So that's the that's the way that works. It's. Um, I mean, it takes. Probably 30 minutes per player, 30 to 60 minutes. Um, you're definitely going to even solo, you're, you're going to do between half an hour and an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not a long game, but it is one that's, um, you can induce a lot of analysis paralysis because of all the moving parts in it. Uh, and a very pretty one. You've got all these, um, wooden edgy pieces. Yeah, absolutely. It lends itself to some nice, um, online photography with all the, the various veggie meeples. Bright, brightly coloured, um, and it's it's just it's still I think unlike any other board game. It looks like a worker placement game. Thematically, it's similar to so many, especially you know Rosenberg worker placement games. Mm-hmm. But it is unique. This sort of um, trading of different things and putting vegetables down to grow, and then they harvest, and yeah. It's, it's a nice tactile experience. It's got a nice little table presence to it with all its wooden components. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll see some of those ideas in other Rosenbergs, like the delay between planting mm. and harvesting and so on, but yeah. Yeah. And, gotta say, um, e- even considering we, you know, neither of us is particularly cult of the newish, I think, um, but yeah, this is a game from 2009 which still gets a lot of attention now. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. It's not just us. Even even older than um, than Mercator, which we covered previously. <laughs> so yeah, that was at the Gates of Lying by Uwe Rosenberg. And this, okay, this is a game with punctuation. Uh, Terminator: Colon <laughs> Dark Fate M Dash the card game. But, uh, that's certainly some punctuation. So it came out in 2020, obviously as a tie-in with the film. Um, designed by Jack Caesar, whose other work I'm not familiar with. And basically, it's, it's a deck builder. And in many right. respects, it's quite a standard deck builder. Uh, you know, there, there is the supply thing that buys you more cards and there is the fight thing that lets you damage the enemy. Right. But it's, it's got some interesting twists to it. Uh, for a start, it's cooperative. Um, you are mm-hmm. uh, up to four people. I, th- I think the publishers call it two to four, but it's entirely soloable. Because there's no right. hidden information between the players mm-hmm. um, against the Terminator, right. uh, and if any of the players ever gets four wound cards in their hand at once, then they are dead and out of the game, and that ends the game because you'll have to get out alive mm-hmm. to to win. Okay. Uh, the clever bit is the Terminator is not out there all the time, uh, so it's somewhere in the top cards of the deck. At, at the beginning of the right. game, I think it's in, it's shuffled into the top five. Uh, mm-hmm. And that that number will vary a bit later on. Uh, so as you get more cards coming into the market, and you you can take as many cards into the market as you like, yeah, uh, the risk of it's coming out increases. Uh, you can't hit it until it's visible, but on the other hand, mm-hmm. it's not that nothing bad happens to you until it's visible. Right, uh, and then you can either you know, 
that you've got various attack powers. You you can, if you do enough damage to it, you can stagger it, and then you can, mm-hmm. you or somebody else can play a card that is, you know, the drill press or whatever that can that can kill it in one action. Or uh, if you haven't got one of those, you can just build up even more damage. I don't think you said, but presumably killing the Terminator is the way to win. That, the game. Yeah, sorry, that is the win condition. Yeah. So I, I'm not 100% certain I've ever seen any of the Terminator films all the way through. <laughs> Man, you're you're even less exposed to pop culture than I am. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, kill a robot from the future, basically. Yeah. Um, and it, it it is big and tough and, and mostly indestructible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you, you can, you can do that, um, but when, when it, when it does appear, uh, visib- uh, becomes visible, it, it is actively hunting you, so all the bad cards that have come out into the market yeah. will then get triggered and do damage to you or to another player. Uh, you can run away, but that removes all the damage it's taken, and so, and if it had taken, yeah. say, 10 damage, then you will shuffle mm-hmm. it into the top 10 cards of the deck. And so, so, so that might give you a grace period to, to, to arm up yeah. until it comes back, or it might not. Yeah. Um, and presumably the trade-off there is that you're not, lo- you, you're not losing your damage that you've suffered. Yeah, well, you, you might have time to, to heal. Yeah, uh, but it's not automatic. Yeah, there, there are cards that produce healing effects, um, mm-hmm. but... Those are the things. This is, I, I must admit, the, the bad bit. Uh, the, the the deck is big, which is not norm- right. not normally a bad thing. But it, I think it's something like a hundred or so uh, in in the deck you shuffle and draw from. Yeah, and that means it can be quite easy to get streaks of good or bad luck. Yeah, I'm familiar with that from other games. Yeah, you. you... You always think, you know, a bigger deck card, more more variety, more variability is going to be great, but what it actually means is more randomness. Yeah, and particularly when you've got, um, you know, an extra ammunition card, I can't remember the exact name, name of it, but it's basically you use with your gun to do more damage. Well, that's yeah. great, I've not seen a gun yet. <laughs> yeah, and presumably it's um, more of a problem in um, at, at lower player counts, you're going to see more cards at the higher player counts. Mm. I don't know if you can trade cards between each other or uh in in a fairly limited way. Yeah, uh, not not yeah. as not as so, so there is that capacity there it would be it might not be easy, I don't know. Uh so that said, um I I enjoy it mostly as a solo thing. I, I have played it a, a mm-hmm. bit solo and a bit multiplayer. Mm-hmm. And Yes, on the one hand, sometimes the cards will just slap you in the face and, and you, you will die quickly, but it's, it's a pretty short game, even, um, when, when you're playing it to its full length. Uh, yeah. BGG says, uh, 30 minute playing time, um, and yeah, maybe for sort of two or three players who aren't particularly fast or four players who are, but certainly a solo game would be, would be more like 10 or 15 minutes. Right, wow. Um, I wasn't expecting that. Well, that, that that's the thing. Also, uh, the publisher, uh, River Horse, who seemed to be UK-based, uh, were selling it for a fiver-plus postage. Right. So I thought, yeah, worth the punt. And, yeah, I'm. it's not a game I love, but it's a game I'm introducing to people because I can easily mm-hmm. see that one might. And I think with yeah. a bit of tweaking of the deck... Um, and not not necessarily adding any new components, it, it could become much better if you just you know yeah. split the deck in half. 
each card half the supply in one, half the supply in the other. Yeah. That could work a lot better. I mean, that's a, yeah, that's a fairly easy thing to do. And I also think, you know, if the game's only going to last 10, 15 minutes, perhaps you can be a bit more forgiving of any randomness. Mm. That's the thing. I mean, if, if, if I were keeping track of my win-loss stats and I cared desperately about winning each game, mm. then it would annoy me more than it does. As it is, I can say, well, I have a perfectly good excuse for having lost this time. The cards were against me. Yeah. Let's play again. Yeah. And I, I think, as, as you said with some of the other games we talked about, um, it's not so much that it's a desperately compelling game in itself, but it, but it is a pleasant change of pace, perhaps, between mm. other things. Yeah. Uh, it's not one I've seen talked about much. I mean, I don't think it got a huge publicity push. I, I assume the film mm. tie-in got it some sales, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that there were other games associated with that film, I think, weren't there? Again, would have overshadowed it, I assume. Well, as someone who was very much a fan of the original films, I've just so much lost track and interest. I don't, <laughs> uh, the, okay, the, the, that is the only Terminator Dark Fate game. Right. Okay. Uh, but one of the earlier films um, was Terminator Genesis, and in particular, Terminator Genesis: Rise of the Resistance has had a lot of yeah. um, that. That might be the one on one PG. That that's basically a cooperative miniatures game, which is entirely mm-hmm. soloable. I, I am interested in that, but it's a huge thing, and it's a miniatures game. And I don't mm-hmm. have space for it, so <laughs> also it's quite expensive. Fair but yeah. Um, but yeah, this, this is small. Uh, it go, goes in the box. It uh, goes in the games bag easily uh, when mm-hmm. I filled it up with larger games. Not a masterpiece, but definitely worth a look. I would say. Very good. Roger, you sent me D Day Dice. Hmm. Um, how do I start with this? <laughs> it's Yahtzee with guns. It's, that's exactly what it is. And I, I think, you know, they, they've, the designers used a sort of Yahtzee mechanism in combination with a map in an interesting way. Um, sort of akin to a rolling light game, if, mm. if that makes sense. Um, and they've sort of used those mechanisms to, to simulate a war game in a way that's more complex than Yahtzee, but Still a lot simpler than, than most war games. Is that, is that yeah, fair? I think that's fair, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can see why, why people enjoy it. That said, predictably, it's really not for me. A lot of dice involved. Um, well, there's dice involved and also it's just from a, a theme point of view. And I think yeah. we've touched on this before, yeah. but, um, I, I, I have difficulty in, um, in use, using anything for my own entertainment in which real people suffered. That's fair enough. And war's obviously pretty near the top of the list of that. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's my own hang-up. I'm not going to harangue anybody for for enjoying war games. I, I understand that they can be educational and all those other things. And I'm also slightly hypocritical because I will watch the occasional war film. Yeah. I think there's a whole side argument to be made about ethics of war gaming, but I'm not, I'm not sure this is the place for it. Yeah, exactly. It's something maybe maybe we get into it at a, a later podcast discussions, or maybe we avoid it with as large a large poll as we can afford. 
But um, yeah, I think had I had I actually played the game more than once or twice before the Kickstarter happened, I would probably have mm. tried to ha- get just the basic box because I'm mm-hmm. honestly not convinced that all the add-ons that I paid a large amount of money for are going to change the game around enough to to maintain its interest when it is still the same basic mechanic. I don't know. I may be wrong. That's an interesting observation. I mean, yeah, I must admit, I, I didn't play it enough times to get into any of the expansions at all. Um, but I, I, I was surprised. There are three more boxes that I didn't send you. Oh, really? I was going to say I was surprised by the size of the box when it arrived. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of content there, as, as is the way of... Um, Ultimate editions on Kickstarter, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was that was. I would say it was my my one great big exploding Kickstarter, but I also backed the Ogre Kickstarter back in the day, which was similarly. Um, right. It starts off as Steve wants to make the best possible edition of his favourite game, mm-hmm. and ended up being okay. We haven't actually got anything else we can throw into the box, so we're going to stop now. <laughs> Well, it made me think as well of, um, of Railroad Link when you lent me that. Mm. Again, I was thinking small box game, but of course, because you had the Kickstarter edition, there was this <laughs> rather large coffin turned up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do have this um, completism, which obviously the people who are running Kickstarters <laughs> are aware of and pander to. I mean, you, usually, usually people don't pander to me, but <laughs> I, I think this is probably quite a, quite a common uh, feeling for gamers to have. You know, I want to have the entire this game. It, it does seem so, yeah. It does seem so. Certainly as you say, it's, um, you know, that there's an industry growing around it on Kickstarter. And so, yeah. yeah. Not 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 more, not a lot more to add about it. It's, um, you know, a, a mechanically solid game. I can see why people enjoy it. Um, not for me. D-Day Dice. Yeah, I, th- I think it's one I'm going to have to uh, bring up here or out to wherever I'm spending the day at work and then when I've got you know, ten minutes to spare during the day. Just mm. try, try it. Try a new variant. Try it out a bit. Um, yeah, I won't be amazed <laughs> if in if I end up selling it, but I want to at least play it a bit before I do that. Yeah, there, yeah there's, there's nothing wrong with that. I've got plenty of games that I I acquire in the, the full expectation of moving on after a few games. It just seems like a bit of a shame after all the hassles they went through in production. Fair enough. I'm, you know, I'm not. Well, it's vague, vaguely aware of some mutterings on Board Game Geek, but I mean, one, one doesn't know the inside information, but there certainly seem to have been um, departures with uh, large amounts of insults being thrown in all directions. And hang on a minute, do, where, where's all that money gone and things of that sort? So, right, okay, so um, yeah, and, and internet the, stuff. The, the guy who was actually doing the production on it has ended up shutting down the company he used for that, and is now doing something else entirely because it was just too much hassle. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. One of those. And you didn't lend me, but I've got to play anyway. Spirit Island. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. So I've, I've still not actually played it single single player, uh, but mm-hmm. I have had two multiplayer games. What one with two very experienced players, uh, and the other right. one with a fellow novice. Okay. How do you get on? I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good game, isn't it? Um. There are little fiddly bits that I might change. I, mean, I, I do find mm-hmm. the uh, explorer figures mechanically um, just a bit awkward to move around on the board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and this great sea of white is sometimes a little hard to read at a distance. But yeah, yeah, uh, it felt 
I'm, I'm not sure if it's an official categorization of game or anything like that, but but what I think of as uh, pandemic adjacent games, mm-hmm. so something like Flashpoint, which which I I love and have played a lot of. Yeah. Uh, has the same basic idea of you take your turn and then at the end of your turn the bad stuff advances mm. um, and you spend your turn trying to cope with what you know about yeah. that. And s- similarly V Commandos which is now V Sabotage um, the- these are two of my favourite games um, mm-hmm. and the- the- this is all there's this combination of firefighting the immediate problem, deciding which immediate problem to deal with yeah. And thinking, okay, here is the limited information we have about what's coming next. What can we do to mitigate yeah. that? Uh, and Spirit Island really raises that to a new peak for me. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the the, the influence of Pandemic is is pretty clear. You know, you're you're revealing cards to to change the board state with um, you know stuff flowing from one area into another. You've got some idea what's going to come up, but you don't have perfect knowledge. All of that is in there. And, and um, it's just amped up. And if I do, then that bad up. thing will happen. Or the other way around, yeah. I can make that bad thing happen. And which of those is going to be worse? Which of those can exactly. somebody deal with? Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's, as I say, it's just amped up. And then you've got the added complexity of the, the deck building on top of that. Mm. And yeah, so the first game, uh, the person whose copy I was using has all the expansions and, and mm-hmm. didn't didn't want the faff of separating everything out. So what we ended right. up doing was so you were in at the deep end. Well, no, we we used base game spirits. Um, yeah, but all all the cards that go into the general deck were still there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I pretty much kept on top of it. Though I was feeling a bit lost at times. The second one uh, right. we had just just the core game because the guys just mm-hmm. bought it recently. Um, and yep, this. It, it makes sense. After a bit, the, the bits start to fit together. Yeah, it is, it is definitely gone on my buy this when I get when I um well when I move out some of the large boxes that are taking up too much space on my game shelves. <laughs> I, I am seriously not buying it until I've got space to put it. I, I yeah, I, I know the problem. My my shelf is literally overflowing right now. Yeah, and if my wife is listening to this, Chris, I really mean it. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from anything else, I've had a bunch of Kickstarters arrive recently. I don't know, that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I've had several turn up and several more I know that are imminent and it's already overflowing, so I do need to get rid of some. Mm-hmm. Buy my games! Anyway. Yeah, uh, oh, so more, more games than time. Somebody should uh, somebody should use that name. More games than space as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that will definitely be um, what... I I could see myself getting far, far too into this, and I, I don't usually do deep dives on a single game, but there's clearly a lot to discover here. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all of that. So yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. We're joined this month by Frank Reynolds, who is. Um, Nominally in charge of the Bratkin District uh, games. I think I was selected chairperson, actually, but there we go. <laughs> that We've now formalised ourselves so we can get a bank account set up. So, yeah, we've gone from very, very informal to formalised. And in there the process, go. I was elected chairperson. So. <laughs> or chair, I think we use the phrase chair. There we go. Yeah, sorry, not, not that one for title. <laughs> and also by Jessica Richardson. Yes. Who, um, 
might be known to, to some listeners from the One Player Guild. Don't know if you want to say any more about yourself at this point, Jessica. Well, I'm a board gamer or a gamer overall from Sweden. I think that's the important part. <laughs> from Sweden? Yes. <laughs> Succinct. <laughs> so I've asked you both on this month's... Um, Around this time last year, we did a, a series of episodes where we spoke to a, a board game publisher um, and to a retailer um, and, and to a convention organiser talking about the effects of lockdown at that point um, on to, you know, what their activities, really. We, we never talked about the, the smaller scale side of the way that um, lockdown affected uh, board game clubs and just people getting together generally. Um, lockdown obviously is now uh, a thing of the past, at least in the UK. But I think it's still worth revisiting and covering. Um, it's you know, COVID is still here; we're still living with it. Um, Backman District Gamers, that Frank is the the chairperson of, is my local group, and he knows that I haven't been along in a very long time. Um, and part of the reason for that, for the main reason for that, really, is that you know. COVID is still a thing, and whatever the government says, um, I, I'm still being cautious. Yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think I'd just like to step in there because it was actually easier for me last year when the rules were no gatherings larger than X or whatever, and everybody knew what the rules were. Whereas yeah. now it's the the rules are apparently pretty much do what you like, go back to normal. And each person has to pick their own safety point between that and total isolation. Yeah. And Roger, you kind of organise your local group, don't you? Uh, <laughs> using the term loosely, um, <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was started by somebody else on Meetup and, and, and he no longer has time for it. So Meetup yeah. was the platform that was on and we get people in through Meetup. And they, they require an official organiser who has the keys to determine when meetings are going to be and so on. And that ended up being me and one of the other blokes. And I'm the only, I'm the only one who ever actually logs mm-hmm. in. So yeah, I guess. <laughs> Frank, could you sort of talk about some of the issues that you've experienced organising things over the last two years now? Yeah. Um, so uh, the, the Backlane District Gamers, or we call ourselves the Bad Gamers, we've been going for about 20, 25 years. Um, I've only been there about just over 10 years. Um, in some respects, there was a strange coincidence. Our previous venue uh, started messing us around um, just to, uh, literally the lead up to COVID. Um, so they were mm-hmm. raising the prices. They were cutting down on what we could, could and couldn't do. And we got a sense that they didn't want us to be there. Um, so in some respects, when COVID hit, it was it, it was a blessing because it took that problem away. Um, we then had the problem of well, how do we keep keep the club going, etc. Um, we obviously suspended the club until I want to say June or July of 2020. Would that be right? <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we we moved. We found a new venue. Um, there's, there's lots of building work going in the local area, and there's a new, uh, brand new sort of community hall. We found that. Uh, we got that going, um, and that got us back to gaming, albeit with masks on, etc., and in a large hall with two meter distances, etc., and things like that. Um, that was actually very useful. And as a strange coincidence, we actually found that we had new members coming along because, by the nature of lockdown, people, I guess, were 
looking at their hobbies and what they were doing. Um, and we actually drafted in a, a bunch of new members as uh, so we recruited about three or four new members. We're only about 16 as a full membership in the, in the mm. whole club anyway. Mm. Um, so we, so there, was, there was both, uh, in some respects, although we, it stopped us um, from meeting, it was actually been a blessing in terms of we've got, a, we've got a new venue, a better venue, and we've grown the club. Uh, the other side of it was that we lost the RPG group. So when um, we had a group of about eight people coming in playing RPGs, um, they with lockdown went onto line to roll d20 um and then when we came back into the into the, the real world they said we're going to stay on roll d20 so we lost that side of things um uh the other side to which i did find is keeping in contact with people and keeping spirits up as it were we all moved on to playing um online games online versions of it so the apps uh, twilight struggle terraforming mars uh lords of Waterdeep. uh we all got onto those games um, so I think I'm now Twilight Struggle is my favourite game, and I think I've been playing that three games of that uh, every week for what's well, the last two years nearly, uh, which has been great. So in some respects, that's been good. Um, and then obviously we closed down again with the second lockdown, um, and then started up again. I want to say I'm, I'm losing track of. It. I think November we started up again this year, and then we had, obviously we've probably probably stopped for a while. Um, but overall, it's been a pain. We've lost people from it, but we've also gained people and we've got a better venue. So uh, we, we've ended up in a better place for it, I think. Um, not not say you would ever want this as a thing, but we've adjusted effectively for it and we're in a better place. Mm. Um, in that, obviously, the online games continue as well. So there's, there's a richness to the gaming community in our group, which wasn't there before. It was just Tuesday nights and occasional calls, etc. Now we're meeting on Tuesday nights and we're staying in contact by playing online games um and the rpg group's dialing back in as well uh they're coming along occasionally to the uh the choosing that meeting right. etc sorry i've gone off on there no no that's good i mean you, you've started to touch on something as well which is the, the positive sides of it and you mentioned online gaming and this is why i asked jessica to to join us so jessica why, why don't you tell us your experience of board game board game clubs and the pandemic well, we had a totally different situation in Sweden because we never had a lockdown to begin um. with. We've had several different types of restrictions, but we've never went to a full lockdown. Mm-hmm. And two shorter periods, about a month each, we've been restricted to meeting maybe seven or eight people at once for yeah. personal gatherings, which mm-hmm. means smaller board game groups has worked fine. But even though we didn't have a lockdown, Basically, all activities or all everything was shut down, even though they were enforced to, just to mm-hmm. keep people safe. Which means that we haven't had any meetings or, or whatsoever at all during COVID. And they didn't even move to online, most of them. I know yeah. se- several smaller groups have moved and, and played with their friends in, in mm-hmm. online, but most of the clubs has basically just shut down and waiting for better times. Mm-hmm. So I had to search for board gamers elsewhere. <laughs> and I played board games online with people from Board Game Geek. But I also ran into a group called the Herefordshire Board Gamers, which are based in Herefordshire. They had basically no existence online at all before COVID. But they realized to, to keep the mental health and, and keep the wellness of their members, they needed to do something 
to, to ensure that people had something to do during lockdown. Um, and they started playing online. They have their Discord server. They are using Facebook. They are using all platforms they, they can find. Because that is also something we have to remember. In the beginning of the pandemic, everything crashed. You couldn't go on BGA, Board Game Arena, because it crashed. Mm. So they tried Zoom meetings and they told, tried webcams and, and different platforms to, to get gaming working. And I'm not the only international participant in their group now. <laughs> They've actually ca- caught people from Estonia. Uh, we have two people from Sweden. Right. So there are a lot of people playing with UK people now. Yeah. Uh, can I just add to that? Uh, that's a point I haven't picked up on. My, so my personal online gaming, for playing through Twilight Stroke, has expanded outwards. So there's people I have new on Twitter uh, as mm. friends on Twitter through my gaming community who are all around, well, all around the UK who are now played, uh, Twilight Struggle with and Lords of Wardsty quite regularly. So yeah, it's it, it expanded through that because people are looking to reach out to people and that can be asynchronously, uh, through the, the app. You know, you play a couple of turns a day or, you know, via WhatsApp, you end up chatting and then playing the game, um, online in real time. Yeah. I mean, I find it really interesting. Um, as Roger knows, I'm kind of, Technology averse and uh, not not antisocial, but you know I keep myself to myself a lot. But this sort of the way that the pandemic has provided the impetus to bring people together, um, at this at the same time as creating major problems for local local board gaming regular groups for people. I, I just think that's a really interesting juxtaposition. And that was, as I say, I think that, that's the core of why I wanted both of you on um, to discuss this, is uh, the, the negatives and the positives as well, because the positives of the pandemic aren't something we hear a lot about. <laughs> no. No, it's... Yeah, I, I would agree. It's um, It's been a mixed bag. Uh, the interesting thing for me would have been is if it, if it hadn't happened, where would our club ended up at? Uh, oh. We would have been, we would probably enforce at the venue we were at, um, yeah. and we may not have found a new venue because the actual building we're in now wasn't built uh, when the pandemic started. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the track would have been, but it could have been the club just disappeared because we couldn't I mean, find I, another suitable venue. Yeah, I, I do remember. I think it was, um, it was, as you say, we always traditionally met on the Tuesday, and I remember yeah. the Monday and the Tuesday. It was just. Uh, countless emails going backwards and forwards between all of us in the group, basically on the lines of where are we going to meet up tonight? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that day, that Tuesday was the day that the lockdown happened. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, that, that's different. Um, uh, I mean, also during the lockdown, the town's grown. So we've got more members joining from that point of view that we've got a, a you know, uh, a bigger community in Brackley. Um, we have had problems like yourself. You've not been around, Lee. Also, mm. There's also um, a few other people who haven't come back because of concerns over it. So, um, but yeah, the, the club was always evolving and changing. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, we, we're, we're in a better place after two years later than we would have been. Um, mm. Personally, it's richer. The, the other side of it is though, like, we used to do gaming in houses, so we would go around on a Friday night to. Mark's mm-hmm. house uh, to play games yeah. on, a, on a semi-regular basis. Obviously, that all stopped. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that, I noticed 
in some respects, it was like, hey, hey, fantastic. We can't go out being a bit of an introvert and loving games. It was like, well, I can play games at home. Uh, but that became not so easy because my hobby desk, which yeah. is what I play on, which I'm sat at now, well, that had my laptop on it for work. Yeah. Um, and then our dining room table had my wife's laptop on it and screen on it. And so, yes, you can move things out of the way. But after doing that three or four times, you get fed up with it. Uh, yeah. So you end up losing that side. So, so there was a sort of yin and yang. We lost the richness of gaming at home, mm. um, uh, which, you know, you know, I'd play a board game once a week at home by myself or with my son, um, mm. and that stopped uh, effectively. Yeah, um, we, we had um, we had Vicky on the on the podcast um, a few episodes ago now, who you know is a solo gamer, <laughs> and she was saying the same as what, what I've found that after the first month of lockdown, um, exactly what you're saying, yeah. packing stuff away, creating table space, it just became a chore, and I just stopped playing games altogether. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the scale, the scale of things is not made, but it, it is strange how that, and obviously there's a mental health side to that, which is, I mean, the room I'm in now talking to you is the room I used to work in from, and it's the room I go and play mm. my hobbies in. Yeah. Uh, and it was my man cave, well, that, that classic phrase, coming back from work, see the kids, eight o'clock at night, come up here, and then it was my time. Mm. But if I spent 12 hours a day in here working, it was like, I don't want to come back in here. Yeah. Um, and when yeah. I did, it was depressing. So yeah, yeah that, there, there was that spiral, and I think from that point of view is why it was great to go back to the club. Um, mm. It was just that escape of getting out again uh, mm. and talking to people face to face, which was keen. Um, there were some lovely I, I, posts uh, March 2020 on the One Player Guild. So you're you're saying I need to stay at home and not go out except for emergencies? Yeah, I got this covered. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think that was something with, with solo gamers. And it, uh, the the aspect that that we spoke about before, I think of um, say in my experience of playing less games. Um, that wasn't talked about so much. I mm. think for a lot of people, you know, solo gaming people did discover that during lockdown for the first time if it wasn't something that they did previously. Yeah. So, there, you know, there's that side to things as well. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not, not much of a solo gamer and I'm much more likely to do it. I, you know, I, I played Sentinels in the Multiverse yesterday because I played it with a mate the day before uh, and mm. ra- rather than I will get a game just to do it solo. So I've certainly been playing a lot less, but yeah. I've played on you a lot. Do, again, more. you do a lot of online gaming, don't you, Roger? Um, well, not a lot now. Um, last last year I was doing a great deal. Now, now I'm getting you know once or twice a month. I'm actually getting I'm getting to see gamers face to face, and that has rather taken away my urge to play online. Well, we we can. I don't know if we want to get into that now. Um, and talking about the adaptations that we've made in our gaming styles, or yeah, why not? And um, for me, at least, it feels if there's a big difference between your your rules sites like BGA, like Yukata, and your sandbox sites like Tabletop Simulation, Tabletopia. You, know, mm-hmm. you, you go onto BGA, you, you cannot make an illegal move because everything in the game has been coded up. Um, so all the things you can do are legal moves, and that's fine. But And from one point of view, that's great, because you're playing the game. Um but I find it, it does seem to cut into the socialising. You know, the entire reason we're here is to is to do the game thing, not to chat over the table. Uh, whereas Tabletop Simulator, it, it's a 3D environment, and all right, you don't have actual people around it, but you at least have the feeling of a space in which we are playing a game rather than a space which exists entirely to support the game. It's this may be just my, my weird way of looking at it, but 
the socialising element of board games to me works a lot better with, with uh, something like Tabletop Simulator. Some interesting observation. I don't know what Frank and Jessica feel about that. I've never tried it, so I don't know. But the, I mean, that the, my whole reason for being in, in the board gaming hobby is that side of things. I was a, mm. uh, a video gamer before video games came online, and I realised how I was sat in a room by myself playing video games, and that wasn't good for me. So um, I've not tried tabletop simulator, so I'll have to give that a go. Well, tabletop simulator demands a bit more uh, mm. because you have uh, yeah. you need to know the rules which means it's harder for someone who doesn't know the game beforehand. Um, So if you're into heavy games and you have other players that also know the rules for this game, I I feel with Roger that Tabletop Simulator gives you a lot more of the the actual experience of playing the game. On the other hand, Board Game Arena is really simple, which means it's easy to drag in people who are not used to playing board games who doesn't know all the rules, it's really easy mm. to get introduced to new games that you've never played before. Because you can start out knowing basically nothing about the game and within five yeah. minutes you're playing. And, and the game can be quick. They usually are on Board Game Arena. Most of them are very quick games. But it makes it really nice because you can keep some of the the social social parts that you don't get yeah. either. Because it's an interesting observation. I know my brother, um, before lockdown, would meet up once a month with a group of friends to play Settlers of Catan. And that was all they ever played. And I know he asked me a few times, I think he put um, Scythe on his Christmas list and something like that. And I said, yeah it's, yeah, it's a good game. It is a step up if that's what you're planning on playing with that group of friends that are used to playing Catan. And I was speaking to him around Christmas I think and now what it is that they play constantly the same group of friends on board game arena is Terra Mystica okay and so and you know they'd never have come across that if it wasn't uh, that sort of digital online environment where the rules were taken care of for them I think it depends a bit on which crowd you're playing with when I joined Her- the Herefordshire board gamers they decided that they wanted to have a very inclusive environment they wanted to make sure that everyone could could join, that knowing mm-hmm. the rules and knowing the game wouldn't be a limit to ensure that everyone who wanted to play got to play. And that means I got to, I've never tried these many games in this short amount of time ever because mm-hmm. it was so easy to just step in. I didn't have to sit for half an hour before to learn the rules. I could mm-hmm. just step in and yeah. play. And in yeah. that kind of environment, it's so accessible. And so you can have the social parts that you also lack because usually you have one social crowd that you meet and you have one gaming crowd that you meet. Yeah. And they fill different purposes, but at this point you could fill both of them at the same time. Mm. Yeah, in fairness, um, I, I will agree TTS is not the solution for everybody. Another consideration is that it costs money, which BGA doesn't have to, and you need a reasonably capable computer. Uh, because it is a 3D rendered environment, not just bitmaps moving about. So mm-hmm. that's yeah, other, perfectly good reasons for not doing it. There is a strange thing which has occurred. So on um, last Tuesday, I played, well, the Tuesday gone, um, mm-hmm. I played Twilight Struggle for the first time um, in a while, face to face, against a guy I've been playing um, online with for ages. And we both said, this is easier on the app. 
uh, because it does <laughs> to, to your points you're making it, it handles quite a lot of the rules for you and and the calculations yeah um we said it would be bizarre to come along with our ipads and sit in the same room playing against you on the ipad <laughs> but that would make me it would make it somewhat easier um but uh yeah it, it, that was just it was just an observation we got back into the game but um yeah, I can see how that would benefit and make it more usable for, for people to join in uh, by having the rules sorted for you. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've I, heard I, people say the same thing um, with OnlyRim on the app. Because, of course, people always complain with OnlyRim about the, the shuffling and how much time that takes. <laughs> so it's, once you play it on the app, you never need to play it on the game again. It takes care of all the shuffling. And yes. I, I mean, I'm not a fan of OnlyRim anyway, but I never had an issue with the shuffling. To me... That, that that tactile experience is part of the reason for playing a board game. Yeah, I mean, it was a simpler example. It's probably, hey, that's fish. Hey, it's my fish. That's just that's easier on the app than it is on the playing with the bits of pet card, etc. It does take um, a well, I guess it's tiles. Tiles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Any, ultimately, any board game is going to be easier if you don't have to move bits of paper around, move roll dice, do all this other... Any of that sort of overhead is just taken care of. So, yeah, of yeah. course, it's going to be quicker and easier on the computer. Yeah. But as you mentioned, sure. you also you you miss that tactile feel of rolling the die and having them in your hand and yeah. seeing them roll in, in the right way. Hear the sounds and everything connected to. <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. the, the 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 one the one thing which gets me on twi- sorry I keep going about twilight stroke. It's one of my <laughs> is is the lack of rolling the dice. The dice the machine rolls the dice for you. You think oh, it's got it in for me. It's always rolling low. Whereas if I'd rolled the dice, it rolled low. I'd blame myself. Um, yeah, that's that's the one thing which which great. I mean, that's another thing about the social experience as well, isn't it? I mean, I, I know, I I think a lot of people think that I, I hate games with dice in, which is partially true. <laughs> I'm far I'm far more willing to play a game that is dice based in a social context. Yeah, because there you're sat around the table. You're sat around the table discussing with people, and you're sharing that experience of oh, the dice are against me, or oh, whatever it is. As opposed to just, as you say, sat there on your own, blaming yourself for the dice are bad. Yeah, yeah. And that you'd miss out on that on the computer, I think. Yeah, I think we convinced you to play Martian dice, but you wouldn't play zombie dice. I think that's what we. I, I'm pretty certain I've played zombie dice several times. With you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see the look on your face now. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's that. Okay, we're doing this first thing in the evening while we're waiting for people to turn yeah, up. Are we okay? Yeah, we'll get to something else eventually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know a couple of online role playing groups. Some some of them are are absolutely serious that yeah, whatever whatever system you use, it must have an automated dice roller in it, like Roll Twenty or whatever. And the the ones I mean, we just say, uh, you know, we'll just roll our dice that we already have. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah Roll Twenty hates yeah. me, so I totally agree on rolling your own dice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, somebody else I was chatting with online couple of months ago in the solo context and they said that they they prefer playing dice games solo because if they roll a bad result they go oh that one doesn't count we'll just roll that again <laughs> yeah, I remember years ago playing the Russian campaign the old Avalon Hill game and um, you roll in the you get mud two turns in a row and you think oh, okay I'll just, I'll just ignore that one so, <laughs> yeah. so oh, that, that, that one's that one's a bit cockeyed that one came out the back of my it's, hand exactly that yeah, I, I agree with all that <laughs> And there's, there's a game called um, Where There Is Discord, which is a, a Falklands conflict game, and you're playing it solo. Um, the other side of that is when you roll the dice and it turns out bad. You, mm. One, your, your morale goes down low because you think, oh my goodness, that's terrible. That's really, really bad. And then you think, well, I'll re-roll it. So it's a bit naughty, but there we go. 
Um, <laughs> so there was one point on the on the um, on the lockdown I was going to pick up on is mm. we didn't really encounter any reticence to come back. Um, so uh, we're all, I think, our <laughs> like age myself is, excluded. Well, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, apart from the the, um, the the RPG group who had settled into, they were now working digitally, and yeah. also that was complicated by the fact in lockdown people had moved away. So the group would cut the group. It almost couldn't come back to the office, uh, back to the, um, right. to the club because several members moved away, and it, it made more sense digital. But we didn't have residents come back. We were, we, I guess, our age spread is probably late twenties to early sixties, so it was mm. a broad, a broad um, uh, scope of people. Uh, we didn't have residents to that. Uh, most people were happy with the, the mask handling, and then all the the, the cleaning up we had to do, etc., with you know the, with the wipes and the and the mm. um, things like that. At this last. Uh, was this plan B thing? Uh, we agreed as a as a group that we were happy because we've all been triple vaccinated, not to wear masks. And I think it was mandated at the time because you, you say there's only a maximum of probably 15 of us in a room. Mm. Um, but we did have a few people coming along and they kept their masks on as they're assessing us out, which we said is absolutely fine. But please understand, you know, we, we we're happy to do this. So. Uh, there wasn't. It's, there wasn't a big concern uh, I found, but I can expect, uh, I imagine others had had different experiences. But I mean, it's an interesting thing. I think, from my perspective, um, I'd be happier with masks on and with windows open. Yeah, yeah. We did have the windows open because it got too cold. Yeah. yeah. I, well, exactly. See, I don't want to force that on other people. Yeah. So you know, it's cold now. I understand other people want the windows closed. I understand other people don't want to be wearing masks, so I just don't go. Yeah. No, it's understandable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The group in Herefordshire, they solved it by doing both. So they have in-person sessions and they are still keeping their online presence and doing online sessions mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want to stay home and it's the Thursday that's supposed to be a meeting, then you can choose if you want to go there or if you want to stay home and play online. So they had bro- that- they had broadened all their activities by, yeah. by having both areas on both floors available to them. That's a, I mean, that's a very um, comprehensive and good approach. How was that driven in the club? Was that driven by individuals, by a committee, or uh, mm-hmm. I'm interested in how, how the leadership factor in how that happens? Well, they they have a committee, uh, so they they share the responsibility, and several new people have joined the committee and grown in responsibility, and and are now responsible and holding these either in-game or online sessions and, and to making sure that someone from the committee is present and can help out and make people feel welcome. And they widen all their activities in all fields. They, they now approach role-playing games, video games, while they before were just board gamers mostly. Yeah. Out of curiosity, Jessica, I know you said that there's several other international people that have joined the, the Herefordshire Club. Yes. And you say, so the committee's expanded. Are any of those international people on the committee or is it still just the local? Well, I, I'm, I'm one of their RPG helpers, which means I, <laughs> right. I'm, I'm helping out uh, hosting and, and doing uh, role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder for me from a different country to join in, but I have yeah. helped out. They are hosting charity events and they wanted pe- mm. other people's eyes to keep track of it being fair when they had raffles. Yeah. Um, so even if I'm in a totally different country, I can still contribute, which is really yeah. nice because it makes yeah. you engaged and wanting to stay. I mean, something else that occurs to me as we talk about this is I don't know how different the the RPG players' experience is 
because going back again, um, thanks for mentioning earlier with our local group, um, where we were looking for a new venue just before the first lockdown. One of the big concerns I seem to remember was having a venue where board gamers could play, where tabletop miniatures gamers could play, and where role player games gamers could play. But yeah. the club before was we incorporated all those aspects, but now after lockdown, the RPG group have decided they're, they're happier online. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. So I wonder how the how the RPG experience has differed from the board game experience in this time. Um, well, I've actually got roped into it in terms of the, you're broadening out the depth. I now play mm. um, once a fortnight uh, with them, uh, mm. but the core group are playing two or three times a week. Um, it's, yeah, I think it's it benefited them immensely. Um, as I say, yeah. the, the group physically distanced itself. People moved. Sorry, sorry. Physically uh, moved away. Uh, people went to live back with parents or um, you know, moved away from areas, etc. Uh, it's kept the group together. So um, even now, the main DM, he's now moved out to Chipping Norton, which is, what, 30 miles from here. Um, yeah. So it's kept it together, and there's been a, a, a richness in play, etc. How they recruit new members, I haven't thought about that, if they were going to do. I mean, if anybody rings up and says they were interested in role-playing, I point them in it, or, or, with our club, I put them in their direction. Um, but, yeah, that, I think... Of all of all the uh, types of gaming at the club, uh, that's the one which benefited the most from lockdown in terms of it moved online and it's made it easier. I mean, if I say to my wife, I'm going out Tuesday nights and I'm going out Thursday nights uh, to play games, she would have said, no, you're not. But if I say Tuesday nights, I'm going out to the club and Thursday nights, I'm affecting to sit on the phone like we are now for two yeah. or three hours. She's she's happy with that, <laughs> as odd as it is. And I guess that's the same. Most of, most of us are you know, middle-aged men with families, so mm. it, it's easier to fit in um, playing games than that. But I know they do Tuesdays, uh, Thursdays, and Sundays. Um, uh, so they, they, there's, a, there's a richness there. Yeah, just thinking of the times I've been involved in the slightly organisational side of conventions, the board games want a great big room to a first approximation mm. with tables and chairs. The role players want lots and lots of tiny rooms. Very few venues yeah. actually offer both. Yeah. And just thinking yeah. of something like UK Games Expo where I, I used to do um, role-playing demos for Steve Jackson Games and they would have three groups in a room of which one was trying to do, you know, subtle horror and the, and the table next door is doing shouty D&D. It just doesn't work. <laughs> No, I mean that that was the issue with um with the local venue. I think our previous venue had the separate room for for the RPG players to to get together, and we we're hoping to replicate that in the new venue. I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which we we uh, in some respects we could do, but that's a, that's a side issue mm. on that. Um, I mean, interestingly, the the only RPG playing I've ever done has been online, albeit text based rather than video based. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, one side of the game in which I I was surprised. And this is pushing for a personal point of view. Given I was a, um, a dedicated console game until about ten years ago, I didn't pick up video games in the in the, in the um, uh, lockdown phase. I, I thought, oh, I, yeah, I thought it'd be Netflix, playing board games, um, and uh, video games. Mm. And I didn't pick up the video game side of it. I just didn't. I don't. Know, I don't know if I'd so far left that community, but it just didn't interest me. I was more interested in. Um, I guess probably it was probably net, a combination of Netflix and then playing online versions of the, of the board games, um, yeah. and then do, also because I, I do tabletop uh, gaming, um, painting miniatures. Um, I suppose mm. that's the biggest things for me. Um, but that, looking back now, that was a genuine surprise. So I thought going into it, yeah, I thought I might get back into video gaming, and I didn't. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's going to be a shared experience with people that had even had any links to video gaming at all. I mean, certainly yeah, from my point of view, um, I, I, again, it, it was a slide for me. I, I thought I'm going to play lots of couples games with my partner. I'm going to mm-hmm. play lots of solo games. I'm going to do lots of miniature painting. Yeah. Um, Learn a language. Get fit. Yeah, all of those <laughs> things. But initially, um, we we had um, my office and then we had... Uh, at the table downstairs, which was the dining table, which was the table I played board games at. Yeah. And that became my partner's workspace. Yes. Um, and it had her computer on it. It had her microscope set up on it and trying to, I think for the first month of lockdown, she very kindly did sort of clear the table in the evenings and then at the weekends and then slowly not at all. And I couldn't blame her for that at all. Yeah. And then just over a year ago, January last year, uh, she suggested to me that we got rid of the the bed sofa, which was in the spare bedroom, rearranged things so that my office was in here, mm-hmm. and we got another table that I could play games on. But like you were saying, Frank, that's now, it's my workspace as yeah. well as my hobby space, and actually I'm not sure I want to spend time up here doing hobby stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, 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 That's that was the real, I think it was about three, four months in, I remember talking to my mother on the phone saying that how... I realized my morale had gone down because the room, which was my place I went to for my sanctuary and raised my spirits yeah. the end of the day, no matter how bad the day was, when I got into this room, I felt great, was now yeah. depressing me. And that was and that, that was the sense of entrapment of like, well, you can't go anywhere else. Um, you know, you, it was, mm-hmm. that was the sense of imprisonment yeah. I felt. Uh, and it was, that was surprising. Because if you said to me, okay, you've got two years at home and you're gonna, you, have, you have your evenings to yourself and you can spend them, et cetera, yeah. you'd think fantastic. Actually going through it, it's, it's strange. The, the odd thing for me is, and you know, almost, almost a proof of point, um, I've swapped jobs in the lockdown and I'm now only a 20 minute drive to my office. Um, yeah. I'm going back into the office quite regularly because we haven't fully staffed it yet. Mm. And I notice when I drive home in the evenings, my morale is a lot higher. And when mm. I want to come up here about eight o'clock at night to do my hobby stuff, it's a lot better. Yeah. Um, so it's almost just, it's just proving the point of lock me in this room for 16 hours a day and I'm not happy, uh, despite <laughs> it being my man cave, you know. Yeah. Which, which yeah, really shouldn't be that surprising, I suppose. No, no, I'm not, not yeah. say that going in, you'd think fantastic, but no, yeah. no. I've, I've, I've been very know. much appreciating how fortunate I am because I, I came here, which is High Wickham from London. And my wife came from Bristol, and so we we ended up with quite a large place, which is, by mm. most people's standards, far too large for us. But it does mean mm. that, you know, I can I don't have to be in the same place every day. Yeah, yeah. and that works pretty well. Yeah, I've got friends who are on Twitter on the from my sort of miniatures gaming side of it who are top north, for want a better phrase, mm. and they've got outbuildings which they've converted during lockdown, and, and now have permanent gaming rooms. And I'm just sat there yeah. in absolute awe. <laughs> when I retire, if I can persuade my wife to move north of New, uh, Birmingham, maybe we can do, achieve that. But uh, <laughs> at the moment, that's not going to happen. So, what, what, the other thing which I did notice is, is so the morale going down, etc., was also though my spending didn't. I think it's because yeah, I wasn't spending two hundred fifty pounds a month on petrol and things like that. Mm. But I had more money to spend. Um, I don't know if other people's experience, but my looking back, I probably spent as much on gaming. In terms of feathering the nest and buying games and uh, miniature games and even bought more role playing games because I, you know, started talking to the group there. Uh, that was a bit of a surprise because I came out of lockdown yeah. without every says, yes, I've saved thousands of pounds. Like, yeah, I didn't. We ate yeah. better and I spent a lot of stuff on my hobbies. Yeah. I, I, I certainly bought some games just before lockdown that I was, I was planning to play at the club that yeah. I still haven't played. 
Yes. Um, yes. I bought some more in the early part of lockdown where, again, I was, I think there was one that was for, for the club. And then there's been Kickstarters. There's, there was another sort of binge, I guess, around December last year where I bought some more games. And yeah. Yeah. The, the spending on that didn't go down because there's always, it's, it's the trouble of a, a hobby that you're looking forward to doing, isn't it? Yeah. That you, you will spend money thinking, well, this will be good when we get to it. Yes. Yeah. But then and, that, the getting to it. Thing, I mean, if, yeah. if you do your Kickstarters, you're already used to thinking, I can't play this now, but I need to decide now whether I'm going to buy it. Yeah. M- meanwhile, if it's a social thing where, you know, if it's a board game, you probably you want sort of three other people to, to play it with you. And they've all been in lockdown for the last two years doing exactly the same thing. They're saying, well, when we get out, we'll play this. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a huge backlog. Yeah, yeah I, I've been uh, the administrator for the uh, Shut Up and Sit Down Purple's Choice Awards, which is basically the forum community. Because uh, because mm. I inherited the forum when they shut the official one down, and one of the awards that people specifically asked for was uh, the great big multiplayer game that I'm really looking forward to finally getting to playing. <laughs> this year we also had, and I finally got to play it, and it was worth it. Award. <laughs> well, I found I bought a lot of games that I played online. Mm-hmm. that I could put in my shelf feeling I've already played this. Ah. So <laughs> it's not another one of all those games because I have way too many that I haven't played yet. Sorry, so you're so you're playing a effectively an online game for a nominal amount of money. Yes, and then, and then I buy the actual physical version wow, of that yeah, game because impressive. now I know it. I don't have to read yeah. up on the rules because I know the rules now, which means that whenever I meet people, it's going to be so easy to just play it with that, them. Okay, yeah. that is interesting because that, that's, I mean, I'm sort of a sample of one, but that was always a fear that maybe by having the games, they wouldn't exist, coexist. But obviously, you know, the likes of um, Days of Wonder, etc., see it as a marketing plan for the purchase of the physical physical games. So that yeah. proof point there. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Also, the, the, the people I play online with and the people I play face to face with, they overlap a bit, but not hugely. Yeah. Yeah, same goes for me because my online people are in the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I play probably two games as Twilight Struggle with a guy in Scotland. Oh, I know on Twitter, but I've never actually met. Mm. And we could stand next to each other in the crowd, and I don't think we'd recognise each other. Um, it's you know, but uh, you know, on, on the chat you share how life's going and things like that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it is it is strange from that point of view. You could say it's an expression of you know. Facebook friends, Twitter friends, etc. It's driven that. Uh, really like yourself, Lee, I was probably slightly mm-hmm. more into technology, but wasn't really into the social media side of things. Um, but it, it, yeah, that side's uh, driven a bit more in terms of you know my, my breadth of contacts has expanded from it. Uh, not as much as Jessica's, but uh, yeah, yeah, just from that side. You're not joining in any online role-playing groups in Sweden. Well, uh, I have my... Inter- I, I meant Frank. Not so far. No. <laughs> Although I have got Pulp Cthulhu. That was the last one I bought. I do quite fancy playing that at some point. Um, <laughs> so that's... Uh, yeah. I have to yeah. say, yeah, that's... Yes, I probably spent a silly amount of money on role-playing games, which I'm not... Probably won't, won't play. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah. Mi- miniatures games are my advice for that. Ah, yes. Okay. So, sorry, Jessica, you were saying then? Well, I, I was thinking that there is a difference how they are, my RPG groups, my local mm-hmm. RPG group has handled it because they've been shifting right. due to us not having an actual lockdown. We've looked at the current spread and shifted mm-hmm. between playing online and playing in person. 
Mm. And they have no intent whatsoever on staying online. But they are oh, okay. using they are using the online tools because it's easier, mm. because you don't have to do the math. And is there age group? So I mentioned it's handy for the age group I'm in, which are you know middle aged men with kids and families. Are they their sort of age group or are they younger? They are younger than me. Okay, so they have more flexibility in their social life then. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I just I, the role playing in particular, I just find that so much simpler to play. Um, online from a point of view organizing because it's secondary so it's my, not, not my main thing um, playing that with uh, roll, roll 20 whereas if you would, if, if you said to me do you want to play board games or miniatures games or role playing games on a Tuesday night this, it would always be miniature games or board games or role players would be a third point yeah um, and if you said to, you know as I said if I was asked to go out try to go out on a Thursday night to play role playing games I wouldn't be allowed to or it would be met with stern looks well, I guess yeah. From the from the European perspective, at least, you know, role playing games don't need props and table space and everything else, do they? It sort of lends itself to that. <laughs> but 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 it lends itself to the online experience more than you know board games, tabletop miniatures games, where the, there's a requirement for moving things around on the table in front of you. Well, it's very handy for combat to actually be have mm-hmm. all those markers and move them around, and it's not the same thing. I find, however, that role-playing games have the aspect of concentration. You have mm-hmm. to be concentrated on the stories. And many times yeah. sitting at your computer and there's an email popping up yeah. or, or some message mm-hmm. from some social media, it's so easy for people to get distracted from the story. Mm-hmm. And that, I find, is one of the problematic areas of playing online. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's the same as when you're playing a game with somebody that's in between their turns staring at their mobile phone screen the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Which is the argument I came up came across recently uh, against app driven games. I mean, even if the app makes the game better, you've still got people looking down at their phones, and then they're seeing this alert and that alert. Mm. The, I, I, I've yeah. had players fall asleep during a session because we didn't play with cams, and well, it got boring just sitting, sitting, and listening to things. So. And that wouldn't have happened in person because someone would have bumped in a bit and told them to, to wake up if they started snoozing. I, I have done that in a face-to-face session. No reflection on the GM. I was just very tired. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, one thing that has been handy, I've generally been in very theatre-of-the-mind-oriented role-playing groups, so it basically we'd have about as much props as we have now. Yeah. Um, but it's sometimes really handy to be able to say, okay, here is the map of the situation you're in and just drop drop it in as a screen share or whatever. No, you know, mm-hmm. not, not the full virtual tabletop experience, just here is the thing that in the real world I would scribble on a piece of paper and pass around the room. Yeah. And yeah, I, I've got quite sophisticated with Inkscape and you know, automatically generated <laughs> hex grids and things like that. And there's a big rush in the market for different kinds of virtual tabletops to support the online gaming. That's mm-hmm. new new ones popping up every all the time right. to help with the different different aspects of role playing game or board games, allowing you to mm-hmm. in, integrate it with your own stuff or import your own files to to make it look better. Mm. Yeah, jump, jumping back around, so I just thinking of so the role playing came back into my um uh, gaming sphere yeah. through lockdown 
board gaming evolved because I ended up playing my favourite game more often, mm. um, although I didn't play as many games. The one which I did drop out, because as you know, Lee, I like to play miniature games one week, board games next week. Yeah. Obviously, miniature games died off completely. Um, mm. A fair amount of painting, but didn't get any miniatures gaming until we started back at the club. Mm. Um, and I think that has actually been common because there are other people like me who like to play board games and miniature games. Mm. And just by observation, there are a lot more miniatures games being played now at our club than there, ha- than there probably was. Um, right. I think I think there was a first for that. You know, to be able to have a six by four table, which most people can't have at home to play no. miniature games on, um, no. which is which has come back. So, this, this, although yes, we're, we're still a broad broad church club, there is still there's now more miniature games being played than there was, excuse me, before by more people. Yeah, it's an interesting observation. I mean, I've got some solo miniatures games, but as you say, table space is such a huge requirement for them. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, There's a few games which you can play on a you know a three by three or two by two, which you can yeah. manage. But the, the big the big games you can't get done. No. I did see people, um, you know, within my uh, Twitterverse, as it were, they were using uh, portable webcams around tables and running it that way. So I know it existed; mm. it carried on. Mm. But but <laughs> you've got to have the space to do it. Which, yeah. Of all the gaming community, all the gaming things, um, that's probably the biggest one which you can't can't normally do at home. You need a club yeah. for, um, yeah. unless you have a you know big house in High Wycombe. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Lee, Lee's been there. We we can get eight people around the table comfortably, uh, nice. may, maybe ten with a bit of a crowding. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, we've been chatting on for a little while now, so I'm gonna go clockwise round my screen, beginning with Jessica. Is there anything else that you know, board games, COVID? Is there anything that you wanted to cover that we haven't? Well, uh, I was actually happily surprised uh, when I ran into the Herefordshire board gamers. They decided to try to work on their members' health and different aspects mm-hmm. during COVID, yeah. which is something that usually isn't part of, of yeah. a board game communities or, or clubs um, activities. But, but they've done exercise challenge. They try to collect meters or, or steps from their members to ensure that they got yeah. out. They are supporting since before uh, Mind, which is a big mm-hmm. th- mental charity. They have several different charity activities, but they've really taken on this responsibility and did great things, um, mm. which is really nice because yeah. I haven't stumbled upon a, a community that actually checks in with its members to see how they're doing if they haven't heard from them in a few weeks. No, I, I think you stumbled onto a, a really <laughs> a great group there. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I was just so happily surprised. I, I know that they have work together with uh, one of the clubs in Worcestershire mm-hmm. uh, to try to mix up activities and put them on different days so it doesn't collide and so people can join in in both because not being able to meet up in person, there's going to be less gaming for all to be had. Yeah. So I, I'm really surprised, happily surprised to see all the activities and the engagement from board game clubs to help people during COVID to help them through. I haven't mm. played these th- this many games ever. <laughs> I-, I can play games every day, even if I didn't have anything planned or there's no planned activity. You can jump on a Discord somewhere and, and ask, and there will be other people out there who also wants to play. Yeah, wow. So for me, I I dropped the solo games because I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I can play with people even <laughs> though I don't meet them in person. Yeah. yeah. 
just, just, is there an hour long? Is it an hour distant difference, time difference between? Yes, Sweden there's an hour time Sweden? difference. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, I'm it's a, not... an hour ahead of you, which is not that far. It yeah. doesn't make yeah, so that big a difference. Workable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can see that. Frank, board game clubs, go uh, what of... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we didn't have any health chain, travel forward uh, things looking. I feel quite mother. Our WhatsApp group did get more active. Hey. Um, <laughs> The, the other thing is, I'd say it's forced us to do, and this, this is both COVID and all the, uh, the situation with the previous venue, is we've become a, a little bit more organised and professional. Uh, to get to the new venue, we had to um, put in um, what you call uh, risk assessments and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so we formalised the, 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 the group beforehand. It was very, very informal, very ad hoc. Um, so it's forced us to become a bit more professional, if that's the right word, um, in, and mm. how we've organised the, the club, which is good, um, and allows us to be more flexible in little things like um, uh, the way we pay for things um, and stuff like that. So um, that, that, that's the other benefit of it. And um, I just go back to the fact that it, it, we've now got we've got now more members than we had going in, or that we lost a group as well in terms of the role mm. players, uh, which is good because more people are finding us, or they've taken time to look at their, look at what they're doing. Um, and although uh, as a as a community we've also grown, I guess as a shared, uh, in no way am I paralleling ourselves to the World War Two community. But the having gone through this as a shared shared experience with everybody, I think people are a lot more open and aware of each other. Yeah. So there is, there is more checking in. I mean, being Brits, we tend to uh, was it Josh and wind people up as a way of um, familiarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is genuinely. At the end of that, are you sure you're okay? Type questions, uh, and they're sincere of that. And there's a few people who sort of, you know, had quiet words, etc. So not to scale that Jessica's uh, and the Herefordshire group have done that, but there is a sense of checking on each other and being part of a, a community is stronger than it was before. Um, yeah. yeah, really good to hear, Roger. Well, um, we were sort of six to eight in, in the face-to-face group before before all this started, and we're currently about four in the face-to-face group now that we are meeting face-to-face again i hope other people are going to come back i'm in touch with mm-hmm. some of them they just don't really think it's good ideas to go out in public at the moment so yeah. fair enough but um yeah i mean i was dubious about the whole jitsi and bga twice a month mm-hmm. thing but it does seem to have worked out for us and we, we are at least still talking to each other so yeah <laughs> haven't fallen out yet yeah okay and yourself um, anything any comments from yourself no, no, I don't think so. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, as, as you know, Frank, my, my, um, board game club COVID experience has been, um, one of distance, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, I took my time returning, um, and then, you know, I, I, I did on a semi-regular basis. And then, um, when we reached the point of year where windows started to get closed again, that was when I, <laughs> when I retreated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully as the spring comes back, we'll see more regularly. Yeah. Hopefully the A43 will get sorted out as well. I know that's also a big problem. Yeah, that's also been a big deal for me. Yeah. The, the the road between us has um, closed overnight, so what should be a 20-minute drive has been up to an hour at times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which at 11 o'clock at night is not pleasant. No. No. <laughs> um, normally, at this point, we let um, our guests plug various things that they're doing in the board game world, find out where people can find them. I don't know if either of you would like to plug anything. <laughs> um, I, well... We discovered that my website's not working. So um, with Roger's help, <laughs> uh, apparently the um, the security license has gone. So I need to get onto the, the web hoster. But um, other than that, it's the thebadgamers.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook or um, hopefully on the website soon. Uh, but we're a small area, a small one in Brackley, which is between uh, halfway between Oxford and Northamptonshire. Uh, Northampton. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yes, uh, yeah, very, very friendly, informal group. Jessica? Well, I wouldn't mind seeing more people join the community of the Herefordshire Board Gamers. Um, they are based in Herefordshire. Um, I'm not really sure of their venues because I haven't been there. But I know they have a homepage, uk, um, And they are active on Facebook and they have their own Discord, which you will find through the webpage. So I, I would love to see some new more new faces to, to join in our caveman. And those links will be in the show notes. Great. Cool. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for joining us. Thank you. That was thank great you. fun. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you. Good. Well, thanks so much for joining us. I hope we've had an interesting discussion. I enjoyed it. Mm. And don't, don't forget to get your stylish and fashionable t-shirt. <laughs> At tinyurl.com slash mgtt. And we'll hope to be back next month. Bye-bye. <laughs>